the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, thank you, sir. They checked my ID at the door. Let me in anyway, which clearly indicates security here is sorely lacking. (laughs) Good afternoon. Good to have you on board. Wednesday, the 19th of July, in case you weren't keeping track. And uh, the voice would be that of Craig Roberts saying good afternoon. And thank you so much for the honor and privilege of allowing us into your automobile or home or wherever you might be on this Wednesday afternoon. Much to talk about on today's program. And so um, without any further ado, as they say in the show business world, we're going to get right down to cases. Let me begin first with a bit of good news. Uh, We have, of course, on this program, on this radio station, talked a lot about issues related to sex trafficking. It has been Wow. Talk about a black eye for the United States and and particularly for a state like California, which you would suspect with as much people that live here, the amount of money that comes and goes and uh, tourist trade and whatnot, that it would be a bigger issue here than maybe in, I don't know, Wyoming or something. But you would also think that there would be every effort made recognizing how severe the casualties are, particularly for young people, they get pulled into all of this. Oftentimes they are runaways who uh, uh, literally fall prey to sex traffickers and then through a variety of means of uh, coercion and manipulation and drug addiction and things of this sort get pulled into uh, all kinds of unfortunate behaviors. And you would think that the response to that would be, well, once that happens, if somebody gets caught engaged in human trafficking, they should be facing the stiffest penalties possible. Yeah, but there's a few here in California, in the California state legislature, that instead of taking pity on the victims, instead take pity on the perpetrators. Let's get more in an update. I said it's good news. We're going to find out why. Greg Burt joins us, Director of Capital Engagement on behalf of the California Family Council. And uh, I understand that this has taken a bit of a reversal in the vote on this particular measure um, addressing at least part of the sex sex trafficking problem here in California. But give us a little bit of a background, if you would, Greg, as to the initial vote and then what's happened now. Uh, yes, uh, appreciate you having me on, Craig. Um, this bill has been had a roller coaster. Actually, this whole idea, um, I'm not sure most people realize, but here in California, human trafficking um, is, uh, is not considered a serious felony. Um, it's just a regular, a regular felony, um, but when, if it's not a serious felony, it means it's not... Uh, uh, it doesn't apply to the three strikes rule. Meaning, and the three strikes rule is these are serious crimes that have been done several times, and by the time you the third strike comes, the, the third conviction, you can go to prison for life. But human trafficking isn't one of those. 
surprisingly. And so Shannon Grove out of Bakersfield is, had introduced this bill, a bipartisan bill, to make human trafficking simply a serious felony. Um, she did that last year. It failed in the Senate, but she brought it back this year. Uh, but in order to get it out of the Public Safety Committee in the Senate, she had to change the bill, and it only applies to sex trafficking of minors would be considered a serious felony. And once she did that, it got full approval in the state Senate, 40 votes to none. And so they thought this bill was going to fly through when it came to the assembly, but then it had to go to the Public Safety Committee in the assembly. And when they heard the bill last week, um, not a single one of the Democrats would vote for it. Uh, So it has to get so many votes to get out. Only the two Republicans voted for it. So the bill had died. And then we were really at the end of the year, and so this bill wasn't going to, the deadline had passed to get out of policy committee. Then something miraculous happened. Um, Governor Newsom started making comments that he was dismayed the bill uh, got killed. And then the, uh, the new speaker, Robert Rivas, said, you know, we're going we're gonna to figure something out. Uh, figure something out, you know, about uh, saving this bill. And then the next day, the Republicans tried to force a vote on the floor. This is on Thursday to make it skip the committee altogether. And that effort failed. So it came to the end of the, the session and everybody's getting ready to go home. And then the public safety committee in the assembly poll had a special session that they called. And they simply sat down and they re-voted. And uh, a bunch of the Democrats changed their minds, including the chair, Reggie Jones-Sawyer. And he changed his mind, and he didn't explain why, but they voted yes. And the bill still didn't get two Democrats. One was Mia Bonta, who is the attorney general's wife uh, out of Oakland. She didn't vote. She refused to vote for the bill. And so did another guy named, he's the new majority leader, uh, his name is Isaac Bryan, and he refused to vote for the bill. But the bill got out, so that was a miracle, and that was a uh, that was last Thursday. You know, I find it astonishing, uh, Greg, and we've been covering a story here on the program uh, in the last week related to a small bedroom community here in the Bay Area called Union City that recently took a vote approving um, the city's third marijuana dispensary or pot shop in a now for the first time purely residential area and you know when when residents and families came and said hey wait a minute you know our 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 kids walk past this location every day we've got a senior citizens retirement community across the street and yet three members of the union city council looked right past that and said yeah we don't care it it just astonishes me how there are degrees to which elected public officials particularly in the state of california can look right past Past what is in the best interest of protecting the most vulnerable people and just say, yeah, no, that doesn't bother me at all. I mean, who can have an objection to making sure that the stiffest penalties are metered out for child sex Trafficking. I mean, how do you object to that? And I got to get you to comment. There was a quote here. You made reference to um, Democrat Majority Leader and Assembly Public Safety Committee member Isaac Byron, who on this very topic opined, and it's just the 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 lack of understanding, or maybe the lack of heart 
just astonishes me. He, he talks about human trafficking, and I quote here, the same communities that have the highest rates of human trafficking are the same communities that have the highest unemployment rates, the highest rent burdens, and instead of investing the resources to take away the economic incentives in these kinds of illicit markets, we invest all those resources in our $15 billion prison infrastructure, close quote. As to suggest that the father of a family who has lost his job because of downsizing related to the current economic situation here in California decided, well, the best way to close this financial gap between my rent cost and what I'm making on on unemployment is to go out and prostitute my daughter. Do they really think that happens? I don't know. I think this, this whole idea that crime happens because people don't have enough government subsidies in their communities or because they're poor, right? Uh, they don't, don't they realize that, you know, some very rich people do human trafficking, right? <laughs> human trafficking is, is a moral issue, right? People get into it because they're completely lost their sense of morality. They don't care about human beings anymore, Right. And so he thinks the best way to solve that is, you know, uh, invest in better programs. If people had, you know, more money, better jobs, the trafficking would just magically go away. And I think another part of the thing is, is um, this whole idea, a quote uh, that he also made, he said, longer sentences don't act, don't stop things from happening all they do is increase our investment, and get this, in systems of harm and subjugation. Wow. <laughs> so he, he sees the, the whole prison system, the whole legal system, as a system of harm and subjugation. Something like the uh, slavery. I mean, that's what it sounds like. And so he, his view is that these institutions are, you know, systematically racist, Right. And so why are we giving them more money? Well, I give you an easy answer. I mean, to begin with, if you want to cut down on the, the prison population in California, there's a very easy answer. And it's not it doesn't take a bit of a genius or a road scholar to figure this out. Just stop committing crimes. And, and you know, to, to go to the 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 failure of the logic, the lack of critical thinking by some of these politicians to suggest that, well, this is all about poor people that are desperate, that are engaging in this behavior because they need money to put food on the table. Well, then then why didn't Pablo Escobar, when he became a multi, 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 multi-millionaire 10, 20, 30 times over, then suddenly say, OK, I have enough food for my family. I'm now going to shut down my drug cartel and become a philanthropist and better my community. Well, that never happened because it's criminal behavior based on in an eight sin nature, not based on some need to pay the rent. And it's just horrific that there is greater sympathy, apparently, by some of these politicians shown toward the criminals than it is toward the victims. Explain that to me. Well, it's hard to explain. I mean, uh, sadly, the victims are left out. And you know who the victims are with many of the human trafficking crimes? It's the poor communities. It's, Absolutely. It's the kids out of foster care. It's, it's black and brown and minority communities who are most vulnerable in the inner city um, to these type of crimes. So in an effort to feel sorry for the criminal who grew up in a bad background, we're going to let them off the hook. And who do they 
who do they go after? Well, they go after other vulnerable people in their in their families, in their neighborhoods. Well, and I will tell you to a certainty because I've had multiple interviews down through the years with women who have been victims of sex trafficking that in many cases might have had a spat with the parents, ran away, hung out on a street corner for a night or two. You know, they're going to teach mom or dad a lesson. And then in comes a manipulative pimp who knows how to twist offer them drugs, get them hooked on drugs, make them big promises, and before you know it, they become their property and then get then hooked into this life cycle of crime because they're threatened that either if you don't do what I want you to do and, and sleep with these Johns, we're going to report you to the police, abandon you on the street, deprive you of drugs, whatever the manipulation du jour is. I mean, the, the, the total lack of even basic understanding of how this whole um, e- evil criminal system works just astonishes me and then they stand up and say yeah we just we we just need to be kinder toward the the criminals and maybe if we have more more programs they'll stop behaving like this it's astonishing well certainly well, not entirely an encouraging vote in that they didn't apply this to sex trafficking across the board. I guess, Greg, we have to be grateful for the victories, great and small. And it sounds at least in the case of sex trafficking as it relates to minors that we have a bit of a victory here. Well, yeah, something happened. I mean, uh, I think the, the fact that this, I mean, the sex trafficking of a minor is one of the most horrific crimes out there, right? It's not just raping a child. It's paying a child to be raped 20 times a night, over and over, right? It is the worst of the worst crime. And thankfully, hopefully this is turning the corner uh, because even the legislators up here knew the public was going to, (laughs) you know, it was becoming a political issue. Right when the governor has to say something, but this has been going on for a long time. These bills have been killed. Nobody, there was no outcry last year when Shannon Gross' bill was killed. Right, so what's the difference now? I don't know. I think the public is now aware. Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, what you do, what I do becomes so critically important. And, of course, that's only part of the formula. The public needs to become not only aware, but needs to become involved. Somebody has got to say enough is enough. A line in the sand needs to be drawn. I believe we're all going to be held accountable otherwise. You know, when, when, when we're allowing children, when we're, when we're failing to protect the most vulnerable, be it senior citizens or children or babies in the womb, whatever the case may be, when we're not doing an all-out effort to try and protect them, what, what kind of monsters have we become? Or, or how have we just allowed our conscience to be so seared that we no longer respond with righteous indignation. You know, I'm, I'm not suggesting go burn the Capitol building down by any means, but you need to let your representatives know, hey, this is a field too far. And we're grateful that uh, that message was certainly received by this uh, State Assembly Committee. And I want to thank again Greg Bird for that update. Details, by the way, on this story and more online at CaliforniaFamily.org. That's CaliforniaFamily.org. Thanks again, Greg, for that update. And, and I'm just going to kind of put a postscript on that um, by saying this story that I just referred to in Union City is another example where the city council approved the first 
recreational marijuana medical store, a recreational marijuana store, saw dollar signs and said, hey, if you can get X number of millions off of one, two will double that number. And then, hey, let's let's see if somebody wants to apply for a third one. Oh, you want to put it in a residential neighborhood near senior citizens and children? Yeah, well, you know, listen, look at all the money we can use for the city. This will be wonderful. Let's go ahead and approve it. Uh, what the residents of the area care about? Yeah, we don't worry about them. Money is what's important. You know, if there isn't quid pro quo going on in many of these cases, there's certainly a sense of greed, and they get this altruistic sense of greatness about themselves that they think, well, the the end justifies the means. If we can bring more money in, we'll be able to open up more playgrounds across town. Completely ignoring the fact that you're destroying the peace and quiet of a neighborhood, inviting violent crime, and certainly evidence right in Union City, my goodness, between people driving cars into these marijuana stores because they want to do a break-in to violent armed robberies and shooting people. And they don't look at that. They don't look at the negativity. They don't look at the statistics related to what happens to young people who get involved in marijuana and the impact on not only their, their school grades. Later on as an adult, they get lazy. They, they underperform at work. They, they get high and drive and then run into people. All of this, instead of looking at all of that, say, no, 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 look at all the money it's going to bring in to our coffers. Wow. We've got to stand up. By the way, if you happen to live in Union City, send an email to the mayor there and ask the mayor, why did you vote in favor of this and against senior citizens, children, and family of Union City? You can email Carol Dutra Vernacci at carold at unioncity.org. She, by the way, is going to be termed out at the end of 2024, for which I'm sure there's a good percentage of residents of Union City that are probably applauding in the calendar to arrive at December of 2024. But meanwhile, I will tell you, too, that would like to be around for a while, that'll be up for re-election, that you do need to reach out to Jaime Patino, J-A-I-M-E-P, for Patino, at UnionCity.org, and Scott Sakakihara, Scott S., at unioncity.org, email those two politicians and say, why? Why are you ignoring the best interests of the residents of that community? If you're so pressed to put another recreational marijuana store in place because the revenue of the first two is not enough, at least find a neighborhood that's not going to ruin the quality of life for all the residents who live about it. That's not going to threaten the safety and security of children and senior citizens nearby. We've got to we've got to start letting these politicians know, because otherwise, are we all going to just pack up and move? Is that the answer? Just let them win. Let's all pack up and move to Texas. I know there's a growing percentage of Californians that have done that for a variety of reasons. But at some point, don't you want to stand your ground and say enough is enough? These are the lives of our children and our families at stake. And just because the politicians think it's a good idea doesn't make it so. Enough said. Let's take a time out, shall we? We've got a lot more to talk about, so let's uh, turn a corner. We'll do that right now. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Uh, this is what's known as being instant in season and out of season. I apologize. We're going to get Veronica Clay back on again when she gets her <laughs> her rabbit ears readjusted. Yeah, you know, sometimes with these cell phones, you think you're in a good spot and surprise. All right. So we'll uh, we'll catch up with her at another time. Meanwhile, I want to turn a corner. You've seen Iran in the news again. Uh, now there's some concerns regarding sending uh, military over in that neck of the Gulf related to um, some ship disputes. Um, You might have read recently that the so-called morality police are back at it again, making sure that women that are walking the streets of uh, cities all over the country are wearing the uh, hijab. And, uh, you know, it's demonstrative of a nation that has been frustrated under the rule of the imam for so many decades now. And, of course, you talk about the kind of oppression. We know what happened during the so-called Arab Spring of several years ago. There was sort of an an uprising, an attempt, and they quickly squashed that mic back down again. And authoritarian regimes typically do that. Uh, Freedom threatens them, let alone the notion of, of freedom of speech, freedom to assemble. But if you think about freedom of religion, in a Muslim-majority nation, it simply doesn't happen. And yet, fascinatingly enough, in spite of oftentimes this very oppressive environment, the gospel still succeeds at changing lives. Want proof? Meet Lana Silk, CEO of Transform Iran. She spent her early years living in Iran and is now engaged in outreach to her home nation. And Lana, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. Thanks for having me, Craig. Tell me a little bit about the vision here. As I, as I shared with listeners, um, while there's a fair amount of tourism that comes into Iran, not much of it, though, from the West, certainly very little of it, if any, from the United States. And yet, in spite of being a closed country in in some respects to sort of the the traditional types of tourism, um, the effectiveness of the gospel is able to penetrate any kind of a barrier. And certainly that has been the case in Iran. Give us a bit of an update or a sense of what life is like today in Iran and what you're seeing God doing kind of quietly behind the scenes. Craig, life is very difficult in Iran today and not just for Christians, for the majority of the population. There is struggle on so many levels, whether it's poverty, whether it's, as you alluded earlier, freedom of speech, freedom to think as you like, to dress as you like, to study what you like, all these things are controlled. And Iran has really um, terrible statistics and track record of recent years for addiction, for depression, for anxiety, for suicide. So the people of Iran are struggling under an oppressive regime. But you said yourself, the gospel can overcome any barrier. And praise God, it does overcome barriers. I'm encouraged by the scripture in John where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is what we see now in Iran. The the darkness is thick. It's very controlling. It's very oppressive. But the darker the darkness is, the brighter the light shines. And the light of Jesus is shining in Iran. And 
When you talk about the oppression, and I made reference to the sense of it being not not a completely closed country vis-a-vis a North Korea, which is virtually impossible for anyone in the West to get into, but nevertheless, a, a fairly closed society, how is the gospel being successful at, at, at penetrating that kind of uh, Islamic barrier? Well, as far as the gospel is concerned, the Iran is closed. It's not legal to share uh, the gospel. It's not legal to um, have Bibles in the national language, Farsi, and any of the activities that we would associate with sharing our faith and expressing our faith is illegal in Iran and officially illegal, you know, punishable by death. And we have seen the government act on that. Uh, but there are ways now in the modern day that we live in to um, communicate with people, even if not in person. And media is our best friend here. So we use all sorts of media, satellite TV, radio, social media, the Internet. Um, we use apps on cell phones and of course there are there is activity in person but it is strengthened and supported by a an established media ministry that ensures that Iranians who are looking for an alternative and are out there surfing the web and going through the channels on satellite TV trying to find a different voice something an alternative to what they've been fed all these decades that they our hope is that they find Jesus in that search and you know that's the amazing thing about the gospel that that even just a minor little crack in the you know in the wall so to speak that will allow a little bit of light to come through uh, God can take that and use that and multiply that and I know that you know there's there's many ways in which a bit of information about what freedom tastes like comes in from the outside and it helps to stalk um, a, you know a, a a desire a hunger for more freedom or to learn more about what this is all about. And then, of course, we can't discount the impact of the Holy Spirit solely working on hearts and lives and the ways in which God uh, allows us to use uh, creativity and even technology uh, to penetrate barriers. Talk to us a bit about that. Uh, Well, two very different ways in which God can work, as you mentioned, technology and the Holy Spirit. And you know, God God likes using every tool available to Him to communicate to people, and technology is a tool that we use. But without the power of the Holy Spirit penetrating heart, penetrating hearts and minds, it becomes another piece of communication. And the Holy Spirit is active in Iran, and He's doing wonderful things. People of Iran are finding Jesus directly they yes of course they hear what's being put out on satellite tv radio etc but many times people will get in touch with us and they have already met with jesus perhaps in a dream or in a vision they will have experienced his supernatural touch it's not uncommon for us to have a phone uh, a message an email or a phone call someone saying jesus visited me and he healed me of my cancer or he cured my depression or he freed me of my addiction and and now i i'm I'm changed forever. Tell me more. Who is this Jesus? And they're full of questions, but they've already encountered him. So the Holy Spirit is very much active in Iran today. I know there's degrees to which you need to be um, a bit low-key in not revealing 
too many uh, details in in specific because you know, we we always need to be cautious to never put active ministry at risk, particularly since uh, the uh, the potential dangers that might ensue for people in country. And and and, and before I ask this question, that is really a, a serious concern, isn't it? And in, in other words. Um, there are potentially some pretty serious penalties if an Iranian citizen were to be discovered um, distributing Bibles, for example, or uh, engaging in what we would consider to be uh, so-called underground or clandestine church services. So the, the, the threat is real. I mean, you know, as, oh, yeah. I, as I refer to that story, if you have the morality police running around town making sure that every woman on the street is, has, her, has her, her head covered, uh, then you know if they take that seriously, they've got to think um, any religious activities outside of the confines of of Islam is something that they're going to take extra seriously, wouldn't they? Yes, yes, they do take it very seriously, and they're not afraid to act. There was a time where there was um, a little bit of a facade around all of it, and they were acting, but perhaps more in secret. And now there's uh, it's gloves off. It's very serious. Um, you can absolutely expect to be taken for questioning, even torture, imprisonment, solitary confinement, execution. Um, everything is on the table as far as the government is concerned. Whatever it takes to silence the Christians and to silence dissidents, you know, any opposition to what they are trying to establish as the norm for the country, um, it will. they will take action. And they do. Is Christianity seen as that real of a threat and and I pose that question because my my mind goes back to the post soviet union and I know that there is lots of evidence to suggest that countries like Cambodia I'm sorry the, the, like Vietnam and uh, and to be sure North Korea and communist China watched what unfolded in Eastern Europe in the late 1980s with first the collapse of Ceausescu's regime in Romania and then subsequently seeing the collapse of the Soviet Union in the early 90s. And there was oftentimes that sense of, well, there has been the slow influence of Christianity at so many levels. And while initially they were kind of welcoming to the church, much of that certainly in Russia has has reversed big time. And so a lot of these other countries looking at that seem to think, you know, there's got to be something up with this Christianity business. And so therefore, anytime it raises its ugly head, we're going to squatch on it. We're going to put on a bit of a game uh, for the world's sake to be able to kind of, you know, play the dog and pony show. So you've got the three self church active in communist China. They don't tell you, of course, you can't preach the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't baptize children. You can't evangelize. The list goes on and on. So part of that that sense of fear in responding to Christianity the way they have is born out of a sense that this is a threat to us. Is it seen the same way in a similar fashion, in your opinion, Lana, in Iran? Yes, absolutely. And we mustn't forget that we're not talking about um, physical things here, superficial human things. We're talking about a spiritual dynamic here and a spiritual reality. Our fight isn't against people. Our fight, our fight is against a, a dark realm. And so, of course, the, the enemy is going to be doing everything he can 
to try to stop or slow down the spread of the gospel. We're told in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the enemy isn't even perhaps the Ayatollahs of Iran or the authorities of Iran. There is a darkness that is at play here that will turn the hearts and minds of those who are susceptible to it to take certain action, whatever it takes, to stop the spread of the gospel. And that is why we see time and time again in different countries and different settings, as you explained just now, the uh, the move against Christianity, because this, this fight is uh, Jesus versus the devil here, isn't it? Um. Give us a sense of, um, again, in, in very broad terms, because we want to be protective of the ministry that you're engaged with, but, but talk to us about some of the more effective ways in which you're seeing the gospel penetrate Iran today. It's um, a real um, carefully orchestrated uh, network of activities and projects that work together and sing together so beautifully. So first of all, we consider the evangelistic aspect. The people of Iran are open to the gospel. There's no doubt about it. They are hungry and they are looking for an alternative to the Islam that they've always known. And so we must make sure that we present the gospel to them. The Romans tell us, tells us how can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard. So the first step is make sure that they've heard. And so as a ministry, we consider every which way an Iranian might be looking and listening. So TV, radio, social media, printed literature too. We evangelize Iranian tourists in countries outside of Iran. In every way that we can, we want to make sure that they're, when they're looking, what they see first is Jesus. So that's our first priority. But of course, the objective isn't just converts. Jesus has given us the commission of making disciples of all nations. And so our mind then goes to how do we now nurture the many thousands who are coming to know the Lord? How do we help them be rooted in the Word of God? How do we help them grow? How do we help them reproduce and be effective tools in the hands of their Lord? And we invite them to engage with us in a variety of ways, whichever way they're most comfortable, in a process of discipleship. They can go ahead and engage with our digital church. We have 20 to 25,000 Iranians connecting every month uh, to our digital church network, which gives them a safe way to connect, be part of, a, of worship, the prayer, hear messages, share prayer needs. Um, and they can do that right from their homes in relative anonymity, or they can call in and come on a year-long journey with us. We invite them to a course of discipleship where we can call in every week from outside the country. So again, it's remote and there's a great degree of safety there for them. And they can learn and discuss and ask questions. We take them through the whole curriculum. We teach them the doctrines of the Word of God. We teach them um, who Jesus is, who Jesus says they are, their identity. So much has to be relearned after a lifetime of Islam. Then we teach them about evangelism, apologetics, pastoral care. Because inevitably, Craig, through this process, what happens, whichever way Iranians are growing and tapping in, they cannot keep it to themselves. They have found life. They have found the words of life. And they want to share it with their neighbors. So at some point, they'll be coming 
to a discipleship meeting with our counsellor and what will happen is we'll hear them say, I hope you don't mind, I've been telling everything you've told me to my friends, to my family and everyone wants to know and today I've put you on speakerphone, I have 30 people here in my living room and they all want to hear. And this is how the church is growing in Iran. It's not a man-led orchestrated effort. It's very natural with everyday Christians bubbling over with their faith, sharing it with those around them. The fruit in their own lives, now suddenly this person's no longer angry all the time, no longer depressed, they're they're free to their addiction. Whatever chains they were bound up in, they have been freed from. And so that in itself speaks to the people around them. And the church is springing up in these pockets all over the country because the people of Iran are being changed. Isn't it remarkable the way in which in some of the most oppressed nations on the planet, we see some of the most phenomenal growth of the gospel, and yet I suppose, you know, when it's, when it's free and open, we take things for granted, as we often do, certainly in the West. Uh, but there's so much of this story that is paralleled by other uh, equally horrific oppressive nations, or horrifically oppressive, I should say, uh, where in, in spite of the best efforts of the government to clamp things down, shut things down, um, the word promises us that his word will not go out and return void, but it will accomplish his good pleasure. And certainly what God is doing today in Iran, while it might not be making headline news, doesn't negate the fact that there's some pretty exciting things happening. We're going to be praying for your ministry Lana, and I want to encourage listeners to find out more and uh, prayerfully stand behind what they are doing to reach Iran for Christ. Information available about Lana Silk's ministry, again, it's called Transform Iran, and I bet you might guess what the website is. (laughs) You got it. TransformIran.com. That's TransformIran.com. I want to thank Lana Silk, the CEO of Transform Iran, for being with us today and uh, sharing some good news that in spite of so much of the negativity that we hear about Iran, God is doing some exactly exciting things there. TransformIran.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.